I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to you know. Well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem. I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy Podcast. And today I'm pleased to introduce you to Jerry Lewis, a uh, a true legend and by all accounts, a true asshole. So uh, I was happy to hear some of the feedback we got from the Gallagher episode a couple weeks ago. And I decided, let's do it again. Let's <laughs> dig this cocksucker up and give him a good roasting. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, like, genuinely, kind of like Gallagher. I mean, uh, we have to acknowledge he's a legend, you know, and he was a much bigger figure in comedy than Gallagher was. So I'm not comparing them in that way. But I just, we, we need to preface this episode by saying uh, Jerry Lewis obviously had a historic career, but, uh, you know, a, a very gruff personality and a a personality in comedy you don't see as much now where, like, you know, the trope of the sad clown, which we will actually talk a lot about because he made a movie about it. <laughs> um, but th- that kind of trope was much more prevalent as we see. And you saw it in Gallagher too, it's much more prevalent in the old days. Cause I think now you have to be your character because of podcasts and stuff. You know, we know a lot more about you or at least how you present yourself and it becomes harder pre- to present yourself as something you aren't when you're talking to a microphone as much as comics are now. But back in the day, you could be the zany, wacky guy uh, without anyone knowing that inside you were broken and dark. I also enjoy how we're going into this expecting to shit on him. With Gallagher, we weren't. It just kind of happened. I, I didn't want to, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but this one, yeah, we're, we're prepared for it. Um, so buckle up. I think this will be a, a very fun one. Because unlike, this is the first episode that's ever happened like this. Usually I have planned like a couple weeks in advance. I have a few options of what we'll do. Jerry Lewis was deep down the list. We would have gotten to Jerry Lewis eventually. For some reason last week, I wanted to look up a movie he made that is considered the worst film of all time. Well, or the, at least maybe the greatest film no one's ever seen. <laughs> Uh, which we will definitely talk about in a bit, but I just went down that rabbit hole and then I started finding out more and more about Jerry Lewis. And I was like, all right, that's this week's episode. We got to talk about this guy. <laughs> it's fresh on the brain. Have to talk. It about really it. was brain dump. Uh, so before we get into the, the Jer bear, uh, let me just remind you guys, go to blindmike.net. Blindmike.net is where you can find a uh, link to our Patreon link to our merch, Link to our Apple, Spotify, YouTube, where you can listen to the show for free um, and you know social media and all of that. But most importantly, uh, if you want bonus content coming in 2023, then um, definitely check out the Patreon. Uh, we, so, we appreciate all of you laughers going there. Uh, and the big, big announcement today, and if you're watching this right when we posted on Patreon, you get these episodes a week early also, by the way, on Patreon. So if you're listening right when we post it, you can head over and listen to WATS Live, the first ever test show. Uh, me and Carl, Carl's been on an episode of this 
program, host of uh, Who Are These Podcasts? Mitch Hedberg, go listen. Know. It's a great episode. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, you said September? What? What did you say? When, when was he on? I don't know. I just said it was the Mitch Hedberg episode. Oh, Mitch Hedberg. All right. I was like, it was in September, but um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, me and Carl are starting a podcast together. Uh, kind of a similar premise to who are these podcasts, but we're focusing more on social media. Um, so uh, check out the first episode. We Carl and I just had a, a call with each other uh, about an hour ago. And I was like, I think people will like this, but we have done a terrible job explaining what it is. <laughs> so just listen to the first episode and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah. So that'll be up uh, by the time you're listening to this, probably. Um, There's very good show.org is where you can find Craig's stuff. Hey, Thursday, December 8th, six o'clock. Who are these podcasts? Uh, uh, YouTube. Yes. Yeah. And it'll be every Thursday from here on out, hopefully. So uh, you can check it there and eventually it'll, we'll have our own feed and everything in the new year. <sighs> All right. Enough of that. We got a, we got a curmudgeon to dig up. <laughs> um, so Jerry Lewis, if you're not aware, truly a comedy icon. Um, and to start at the beginning, as we usually try to do, uh, he came from an, uh, a family in entertainment. His uh, mother was a piano player. His father was a bit of a song and dance man, I guess. And uh, they performed. And Jerry was, he he started performing with them at five years old. He would sing songs and I don't know what else he did, but he sang as a boy. Um, but he was not, I don't think he was a regular part of their act because uh, evidently he was, a, he was essentially raised by other family members and, you know, kind of a, a, a latchkey kid or whatever you call that because his parents were always on tour. Um, so they weren't home that often. I don't know if he had a good relationship with his parents. Like I, it didn't seem like it was uh, necessarily a, a horrible upbringing, but they just weren't around. Um, so he was kind of left to his own devices a lot. He lost his virginity when he was 12 to a burlesque dancer, uh, or as we call that now, child rape. <laughs> uh, so he, he, got, he got down to it at an early age. And uh, like I said, he was, he was performing early on and kind of left to his own devices. Um, and so that more or less brings us to when he was 19. His career started very early when he met Dean Martin. So if you've ever heard of Martin and Lewis, uh, that of course is the famous comedy duo of Dean Martin, who's the, you know, kind of the smooth crooner, smooth, handsome guy, and uh, kind of a, you know, an easy, easy listen, an easy talker. And Jerry Lewis was the awkward, gangly, uh, hey, lady, have you ever heard Bill Burr or uh, Joe DeRosa do that voice? That's Jerry Lewis. <laughs> um, you know, kind of the stereotypical uh, spaz, more or less. Uh, no offense to uh, Lizzo or the music community. They get very offended at that word, but that's what he was. Um, so our first clip is him talking about uh, meeting Dean Martin, right? Yes. All right. So let's uh, get right into that. Hear about their first meeting. And Frank hadn't really hit yet. I'm talking about 43, 42, I think. Uh, yeah, I was 16 at the glass hat. And I meet Dean who was on WMCA sustaining 16 15 minutes every day five days a week and he was staying at the belmont plaza because the station 
owned the hotel or the hotel owned the station and he was able to stay there for nothing. He wasn't paid, so therefore they got to get him on accommodation where he didn't have to pay and he was doing fine. And I met him in the coffee shop of the Belmont Plaza Hotel one day and I was sitting at the counter having a very loose egg salad sandwich and I bite the sandwich and most of the egg salad is now on my shirt and tie. And I look around and there's this handsome guy sitting there, hysterical. And I laughed because he laughed and I looked down, he said, lick it. So I lifted the tie, I licked it. What else do you want? How you fix for spit? And we met that way. And I knew the moment I looked at him that I found that big brother, I found a friend, I found someone that, that read me, apparently. And I was in need of someone in my life. It's interesting. Maybe he met Dean Martin, but he's at 16. Maybe they met before they started working together because I believe when Martin Lewis and, uh, Martin and Lewis started, uh, he was 19 and uh, Dean was 27. So a much older figure and a guy, Jerry, obviously uh, looked up to, uh, which is interesting when we get more into their relationship that that was the dynamic when they met. But you can hear him there, even as an old man talking about how he looked at Dean Martin and like, that's a lost kid who uh, a lonely kid, like who, you know, essentially grew up alone needing someone. And he finds this guy, Dean Martin, who's uh, you know, kind of a handsome, cool guy that knows Frank Sinatra. I mean, that was the early days of Frank, but still knows like Frank Sinatra. Uh, But Dean was also a nobody at that time. His career was nowhere. So uh, they started in radio together. Martin and Lewis was originally a radio show and a stage act. Um, they basically filled in. Um, uh, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. I don't want to get too crazy here. <laughs> but uh, they, they were a stage act where it's essentially how I described it. Like the bit was, uh, you know, Dean is kind of calm, cool, collected and soft spoken. And uh, Jerry was a spaz. And that was the bit. And they're considered by a lot, and a lot of this is because there aren't comedy duos anymore, except for the Sklar brothers. I can't really think of that existing. And uh, 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 Steve Martin and Martin uh, Short. Steve Martin and Martin Short, uh, Jeff Ross and David Tell with Ugh. the bumping mics thing that they did. But like, in the way that it used to be done, that doesn't really, you know what I mean? Like Steve Martin and Martin Short are both super famous before they ever did anything together on stage like that. Um, so in, in that, in that way, Martin Lewis, Abbott and Costello, you know, Laurel and Hardy, there's a few, there's a handful of these comedy teams that kind of created that sort of dynamic. And I would say Martin Lewis, based on the sheer volume of films they put out, they put out a ton of movies together. Um, in a short period of time, they were together for, uh, 10 years to the day, I believe. Um, I believe their first show and last show were on the same date, 10 years apart. Um, so they were together for 10 years and put out a, a ton of movies. And, you know, I, 
I, I can't say created. I'm sure there were others out there at the time, maybe, and maybe not even necessarily the most successful, but they were certainly at the forefront. One of the first duos to kind of create that dynamic of a, a buddy movie where, you know, one guy is kind of cool. The other guy's a, a loser. But what's interesting about their relationship is the way I'm describing them, you would think Dean Martin was the popular one. Uh, but that's not really how it took shape. Like Jerry, Jerry Lewis got very popular, even to the point where it put a strain on the, the, the duo's relationship because like uh, Dean Martin, they would, they would do magazine shoots and they would take a picture of both of them and then crop Dean out of the photo and put Jerry on the cover. So like shit like that was happening where Dean was not getting, I think because Jerry was funnier, like Dean was the straight man. So Jerry got a lot of the credit for the, you know, comedic ability. Um, And so that definitely caused a strain in the relationship. But before I talk more about that, uh, what is the next clip? Because I think it's around the same vein. Martin Lewis breakup. Yeah. So let's hear what, how Jerry describes it. And then I'll tell you, uh, a little more about the, the reality of it, or at least how the well, public is, has portrayed it. Well, the breakup was inevitable. And, and I, I spirited the breakup. I mean, I was, I was really responsible for breaking it up because I knew that it was going to have its, its finality very quickly. Simply because if the tables were turned and I was Dean Martin and Dean was Jerry, we just split up maybe five years earlier. See, Dean was an incredibly patient man and incredibly understanding in that we opened at the Copa and they wrote a full page review about Jerry Lewis. I don't know that they mentioned Dean other than he sang a few songs. And he took that kind of treatment for 10 years. Jerry this, Jerry's the guy, Jerry's this, the silly kid, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry's the businessman, Jerry operates the, he writes, produces, whatever, and it was always Jerry. I couldn't have taken that. Wait a minute, I'm here too. The most underestimated great talent in the history of show business was Dean. So, he took so it for I, 10 years. And then finally, he just wanted to get on on his own and do his work and be acknowledged. This is a long clip, by the way. Yeah, my bad. I thought it was done. <laughs> you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, keep going. For that work. To forget that he sang and mention only the crazy stuff they did together, that's terrible. And it was unfair. And I said, this is going to explode before too long. And I went to Dean and I said, look, we're not getting along now only because there's some undercurrent here where you would like to just step out and be acknowledged as an individual performer with talent, and you are. And I want to do some other things too. Let's just let's just wrap it up. And I got the perfect time. We go into the Copa, we close on the 25th of July, let's make it 10 years to the day, and we did. We had $250 million in contracts the day that I approached Dean about, let's just stop it. Jesus. It was the best thing we did for both of us. $250 million. So that I'm, by the way, he said that I'm guessing they essentially lost $250 million. Like that's $250 million they didn't make. Yeah. 
It's fucking that's pretty wild. It's a pretty wild thing to pass up. And the interesting thing there, I think Jerry is being mostly honest and that's very, you know, interesting of, of him to admit like, Hey, if the situation was reversed and Dean was getting the attention and I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to handle that. Like I, I, I would not have handled that well. Uh, so that's very honest of him where I don't know how honest he's being is when he says that it was like, you know, his idea and kind of a mutual, like, Hey, you know, let's, let's part ways amicably. Cause by all accounts, that's not necessarily how it happened. It never happens uh, that way. It, yeah. Right. It's just too, why would it happen that if you're that, if you're that rational to be like, Hey, you know, I don't think this is going exactly right. Then you could work it out probably. You know what I mean? If you're both that level headed about it, you right. could probably figure out how to keep that 250 million. Um, but uh, the the accounts that suggest otherwise would say that uh, Dean Martin told Jerry that I just look at you as a dollar sign, um, which I guess, you know, kind of broke Jerry's heart because you heard in the earlier clip, you looked at this guy as a brother. You know, um, like he really loved and respected Dean, at least at a time. Uh, obviously, Jerry tried to kind of take over control more and more as the duo got more popular. Um, but I think that was the real issue was Jerry kind of trying to limit Dean people getting in Jerry's ear and saying, you're the funny one. You don't need him. Um, which uh, based on their careers, neither of them needed each other in the end. They probably needed each other to get started because um, they were both no names when they met and were able to flourish after that. But, you know, they were both able to have solo successful careers, uh, which is rare in a lot of partnerships like that, you know? Yeah. That's also proof that it wasn't a mutual breakup because uh, Dean was cutting the kneecaps out <laughs> on the way out. Yeah. Dean was like, I see you as a dollar sign. Hit the bricks, pal. <laughs> He's, he cries as he turns his back. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. But then, so here's, there's also like, I think there's a few instances where they may have met up for a show uh, here and there. So this is only, you know, late, now we're talking late fifties where um, it, it's hard because some accounts say they didn't speak for literally 20 years. They didn't talk to each other. Um, there are other accounts that say like they did meet up for a few shows um, and they talked a handful of times and people would say they were at the same parties, but then other reports would say uh, they wouldn't speak to each other and they would avoid each other at these parties. Um so I don't really know. Certainly a frosty relationship. I don't know exactly how much they talked, but uh, then we get into the reunion of the two, right? The reunion and death. Yeah. So this is, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, the, the clip is not great audio, so I didn't use the clip itself, but it's a clip from uh, the Jerry Lewis telethon, the big Labor Day telethon for muscular dystrophy, which we'll talk about later as well. Uh, but you know, Jerry has all sorts of celebrities come out on this. And one of them was Frank Sinatra. And, uh, Frank was like, I've got a special surprise for you, Jerry. And, uh, uh, Dean walked out. So this is Jerry telling that story of their reunion after 20 years. The relationship with Dean ends in 1956. The partnership ends yeah. in 1956. Um, 10 years to the day, to the day, to the day. Um, you were still incredibly popular on stage together. Could have continued on. 
But you guys don't see each other again for 20 years. 20 years. Uh, until the MDA telethon in 1976. I forgot he, I forgot he acknowledges that. Why are these horseshit uh, media outlets telling me that they met up in, you know, 1963 and stuff like that? Yeah, I have no idea. I like how, I like how he's like, he's obsessed with the 10 years to the day. He loves that 10 years. He loves symmetry. This guy, apparently <laughs> it's an even, an even uh, sided thing. That's all I got to say though. But so far we haven't shit too much on Jerry Lewis. It's coming so far. Yeah. I mean, I, I backloaded it, but so far he's, <laughs> he's been a good boy. A telethon in 1976. Right. Had that happen. That was Frank. Frank took care of that. Sinatra. Yeah. He thought it was about time we stopped this nonsense. I introduced Frank, brought him on. Sweet. He read a beautiful letter from one of his grandchildren. I loved that. And then I said something to Frank about why is it that whenever we're together, I have a feeling you're doing something I don't know about. <laughs> and right on the tail of that, that statement, he said, let me interrupt you. And let me just bring out a friend of mine I brought over. Will you send my friend out here? And out walks Dean. And I just looked up to heaven and said, dear God, give me something to say. <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, you're working. <laughs> so it was a good start. Um, let me read this to you. Cause this is the ending of your book. Dean. Oh, hold on okay. one second. Sorry. Um, just cause I don't want to get too off topic, but, uh, he, first of all, not a battle line. It, it crushed at the uh, telethon. I got to give him that. Yeah. But uh, that is, it's interesting. Like in that moment where Frank surprises you, you know, even just being the guy's been in the business forever at that point. But even in that situation, you're like, I am in front of the world right now. Like everyone's watching. This is a big moment. I got to come up with something to say. Like, that's pretty difficult to do on the spot when you don't know that this guy you haven't talked to for 20 years is walking out and you're one of the most, you know, beloved duos in comedy history. Yeah. And everyone's been waiting for this for that whole entire 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everyone's looking at this moment as like, oh, what are they going to do? And like, that's a lot of pressure to be just uh, kind of thrown at you. <laughs> Um, but it is what they're about to introduce, I think, is uh, how they kind of opened communication back up a little bit later in life. I lost. This is after Dean died. You said you went to his Dean's funeral and you spoke at Dean's funeral. And after he passed away, you said, I lost my partner and best friend, the man who made me the man I am today. I think of him with undying respect. That's quite something to say about a guy who you didn't really see much after 1956, but that connection <laughs> that stayed with you. Clearly you still thought of him as your best friend. Oh God. Yes. Oh yes. He was the nicest, warmest, most genuine, honorable, integral man I'd ever know in my life. But, but I can't, it, I can't speak to him forever. <laughs> <laughs> he was the greatest. <laughs> we couldn't hash out one problem we had, but that's too funny. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't, I, 
I don't know. I think they genuinely hated each other, obviously, but respected each other as well. Or at least, you know, I, I don't know if I could get Dean's take on it. So the one clip I found of Dean Martin kind of making a joke about it afterwards was he was on Carson and made a joke about Jerry. But in that clip, Dean seems bombed. <laughs> and it's actually the way you can find it on uh, YouTube is Johnny takes a sip of Dean Martin's drink. <laughs> and uh, it's a joke because everyone thought Dean Martin was shit-faced. And Johnny goes, well, let me let me try here. And he takes a sip and he is like stunned. <laughs> and he puts the glass and goes, that's good apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> so so Dean, Dean was a little out of it in his later years, it seemed. But yeah, I don't know. Obviously, like the the... I don't know if I totally buy that based on things that happened in Jerry's family later in life that I don't know. Would he have, if Dean Martin's son dies, would Jerry have the compassion to start reaching out to him more? They're like, I don't know. Uh, but we'll get into why I don't necessarily believe him. <laughs> but before we get there, where, uh, where are we going next? Uh, 1959 Lewis signed a, a deal with Paramount. Oh, I mean, and the, <laughs> the biggest ever at the time. And so I think what I have written down there is, uh, seven years, $10 million from Paramount. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's technically more than that. Um, cause he had a wild percentage of like the back end. Like he had seven years, $10 million, which at that time was obviously a huge amount of money. Um, but he also had a tremendous amount of points as they say in the biz. So he was getting money based on what the movies made as well, which for some of those movies, like the nutty professor, which was probably his biggest hit. Uh, that's a lot of quiche. You know, Jerry was really making some dough on his own films. And uh, that's why I said earlier, like one of the most successful guys in comedy, you have to say a, because guys like, uh, like Seinfeld and a lot of those, these older comics do credit Jerry Lewis with being an influence. But the thing I found more interesting about him and more um, uh, uh, unique, I guess, about his comedy career is the amount of control he had. Like he would direct most, uh, direct and write most of these movies and have, you know, a final cut on a lot of them. Like he had almost full control of his films, which I don't even think, you know, Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams had that. You know, like that's a tremendous amount of control. Now, part of that is because it's the fifties. So Hollywood wasn't, you know, the blood sucking organism that it is, uh, that it became very soon after. There's also like uh, four names. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. It was probably easier unless you're the three stooges and Harry. Co- Thank God. Jerry Lewis didn't work for Harry Cohn. <laughs> oh yeah. He would have been whacked a long time ago. Yeah. Thank God he worked for Paramount <laughs> instead of Columbia. But um, yeah, yeah the, the amount of control he had is what I found most uh, impressive about his career. So, yeah, he went on to make a bunch of uh, very popular movies, The Bellboy, um, but The Nutty Professor is probably the one most notable. Um, I mean, Eddie Murphy made a more, like, Eddie Murphy's playing like 19 characters in that thing. Minimum. So it's probably a more impressive performance, but, like, people cite The Nutty Professor as... Um, his, uh, uh, you know, kind of standout role. And it's interesting. It's probably smart on his part too, because it's a role that allows him to be the goofy nerd 
but also, you know, he takes the serum or whatever the hell it is and becomes kind of the suave, smooth guy. I think that's a smart move when you're considering people see him one way and now he's gotten rid of half of his act. Like Dean Martin is no longer there. So he's showing America like, hey, I'm not just this guy. I can also be the other guy, you know. Right. So pretty smart on his part. Um, He did go like Jerry would go through slumps in his career. You know, he was like a ball player. He would have times <laughs> where he was really um, not doing well. And I think even Jerry himself said, I either have, you know, home runs or strikeouts. <laughs> like I'm either when I'm on, I'm on. And when I'm off, I am brutally off, <laughs> which is, you know, just remember the nutty professor and compare it to the next movie we talk about. Uh, but before we get to that, do we have anything else? Uh, this is a clip for uh, him talking about the Jerry Lewis show. Oh, yeah. So he also tried to. Um, uh, oh, I guess this could allow me to talk to, about King of Comedy, too, because he genuinely did try to, you know, um, I guess you can't say take on Carson because it was like right at the start when Carson got the Tonight Show um, in between Jack Parr and Johnny Carson. They auditioned some people. And Jerry Lewis was one of those guys. So now networks are saying, hey, we got to get this Jerry Lewis guy to host a uh, late night show. So this is him talking about how that went. It was a live two hour show. I insisted on live two hour show on ABC on Saturday night. And uh, I'm responsible for that. I put it right where it went in the toilet, folks. And I even flushed it. It was a very big mistake. I didn't. I wasn't prepared. Uh, the dollars got in my way. It was something I had to do. Geez, I can make all that money and all of that. And I was, I wasn't terribly young in '63. Uh, I was already a man. I should have known better. But we went for 13 weeks, and my contract was five years for 40 million dollars, and ABC paid me and had to pay me. At the conclusion of the 13th week, I got $40 million. Holy shit. Wow. And that is a disastrous show, by the way. Great for Jerry Lewis. But that is a horrendous show. If you last 13 weeks and ABC is willing to say, just take the money. Just get out of here. And that's $1963. Don't forget. Yes. That's probably like $500 million. (laughs) It's an insane amount now. So, uh, also it's interesting to hear Jerry say like in, in 63, that's another fascinating thing about Jerry's career is like by the time. So 10 years into Martin Lewis, by the time he leaves Martin Lewis, he's only 29 years old and he's already had this amazing career. So when you start to talk about like, you know, he's saying there in 63, he's like, I'm not a young man. He didn't die. He died a couple of years ago. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in 1963, he's like, oh boy, am I washed up after this show got canceled? <laughs> you know, and he had another 40, 50 year career after that. That's crazy. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. If you were mild, for- mildly humorous and confident back then, you just became a megastar. It seems a lot easier. I guess it, the, the, the trade-off is the options were more limited. You know what I mean? You couldn't just put your special on YouTube if uh, no one was buying it. Right. There's only three networks. So that's the trade-off. But it does seem easier, at least once you're in, 
to have a career in showbiz in the fifties and sixties. Um, but the reason I find that interesting is because uh, King of Comedy, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. If you've never seen the King of Comedy, Good movie. Uh, Robert De Niro directed by Scorsese and also uh, co-starring Jerry Lewis and Jerry Lewis's character, Jerry Langford is essentially it's almost like a biopic because it's essentially in an alternate reality because it's basically Jerry Lewis. If he had been Carson instead of Carson, you know, right. Um, because the character in there is like this, you know, affable tonight show or uh, talk show, late night talk show host. But in his, his, you know, day to day life, he's kind of a, you know, just a gruff, miserable asshole. You, blew and, it. you know, so, uh, I think it was the perfect, kind of comeback performance in the eighties for Jerry Lewis. I thought he was great again, probably because he was playing himself, but just as a sidebar, like one of my favorite De Niro performances, the King of comedy. Great. Because he's playing. I mean, that's completely the inspiration for, you know, I would say David Brent, but more so Michael Scott. Like, yeah. like the Rupert Pumpkin is Michael Scott, essentially. Yeah. I actually, and, I hadn't seen that movie until like within the last two years. Like it took, it took me a while. Oh, so really? Yeah. I always, Great movie. I never, for some reason it just never popped up and then uh, I don't know what happened, but I heard it talked about in a bunch of places. So I just put it Did on. Did you just never know what those Opie and Anthony clips were that they would play over? I knew, no, I knew what they were. I've seen clips yeah, and yeah. stuff, but um I was like, yeah, I guess I'll watch. And it's just great. <laughs> it's, a great it's, it's amazing. And it's the perfect depiction. De Niro, both in that movie and Raging Bull, plays such a tremendous bad comedian. <laughs> because usually what they would do, and not that they wrote killer jokes for him, <laughs> but usually what they would do is write like over the top bad jokes to be like, see, this guy's a bad comic. De Niro was great at like having a schmaltzy cornball delivery. You know what I mean? Like he was great at playing little subtle things about comics where you, you, you get douche chills. You're like, Oh God. Yeah. That and just Where's Mr. Lang for today out golfing. Yeah. And the, but just the way he portrayed psychosis too was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we'll do, we'll do a, we should do a King of comedy episode because that to me is one of the best portrayals in any movie of of a bad stand-up. You know what I mean? I don't think they've ever done good stand-up well. They can't. It's almost impossible. But the, the first half of Funny People is not bad at portraying stand-up. Yeah, well, they actually had and comics doing stand-up. Yeah, they did and they didn't. They also had Jonah Hill and Aubrey Plaza, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. But I thought that was okay, but like, I think uh, De Niro's the best at portraying a, a, a horrible comedian. But anyways... We're getting too far ahead of ourselves. That was his experience with uh, late night. And, you know, Car- I, I would, it's hard to even say like Carson took him down. If you go down in 13 weeks, it's, you're kind of on your own. And I, I, there were a lot of like technical difficulties he dealt with and stuff like that. So who knows if he got another shot, if do he would have been a good uh, you, late night host. Do you think he went down on purpose after the 13 weeks? Like, did he, did he throw the game? I mean, knowing nothing about it. I would think even he would say, there's no way they'll cancel us after 13 weeks. They have to pay me for five years. Right. Did, now, did he have like, uh, he got paid and if the show got canceled, he was still under contract to more or less do something for the money? 
Uh, not to my knowledge. It did, he didn't make it seem like it there. No. Good for him. Couldn't happen to a better guy. <laughs> yes. Well, he was very tight with those dollars, as we will find out later. <laughs> Still, we haven't gotten to him being a bad guy yet. So I've, I maybe I shot my wad too early in teasing it, but we will get there. We will get there. I, I think Gallagher's worse. Um. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, Gallagher we'll see. was more arrogant, or more publicly arrogant. Yes. And more tormented by his 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 lane of success you know yes yep um but what's next before we get to um the moment we've been waiting for the day the clown cried oh god the stern clips uh so the day the clown cried if you guys don't know is um (laughs) (laughs) it's a movie about the Holocaust. So Jerry is trying to get into dramatic roles and he says, Hey, what's more dramatic than the Holocaust? The plot (laughs) to my understanding is that a failed Ringling brothers performer, you know, kind of towards the end of his career, um, gets captured by the Nazis. (laughs) Now, I don't know how accurate this is to history, but evidently he was supposed to perform as a clown in concentration camps. And mind you, this is not a zany comedy set in a concentration camp. This is a drama where Jerry Lewis is playing a clown during the Holocaust. Yeah, you know how we always talk about inspirations? There's no, uh, if there's no The Day the Clown Cried, I don't think we have Good Morning Vietnam, so... Well, that, I think uh, I think Stern actually brings that up. That it's, but it's it, the way it was done. It doesn't sound like Jerry was even supposed to be a funny character. I don't know. Let's so essentially, yeah. for those of you that don't know, like seven people total have seen this movie. Um, a clip came out a few years ago, and it was not nothing audible. If you want to go check it out, it's on YouTube. But there was nothing worth playing on the show, really. Um, but no one has really seen this movie. Jerry Lewis has done his best to hide this. And that goes back to the control he had. He was able to not let anyone see this movie. He realized it was a disaster. Um, this is also during a time, by the way, where Jerry was all kinds of fucked up, I guess, which I think they talk about on Stern here as well. Um, but you know, he had a 13 year battle with, uh, painkillers. And that goes back to kind of like we talked about Belushi um, and on stage performance. He was trying to do like a cartwheel or something <laughs> and he injured himself and he got prescribed not Percocet, Perca, Percodol or Percodon or something like that. Percodan. Never heard of it. Um, and that's what he got addicted to. And uh, we'll get into more of how that plagued him, but probably the worst side effect of this drug addiction was this movie. And Harry Shearer was um, one of the people who was lucky enough to uh, feast his eyes on this puppy. There was, so this there's, is, um, there's one little thing you forgot in the note before this video. Um, you had the painkillers, but he also stuck a gun in his mouth. Yeah, remember when I said we'll get to it in a second? <laughs> oh, it was in the same sentence, so I thought you just forgot. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, he also tried to kill himself. And it is before this video, so my fault for trying to stay on track. 
<laughs> yes, we, uh, he, well, spoiler alert, folks. He tries to kill himself <laughs> in uh, 1973, I think. And supposedly, um, he heard his kids playing down the hallway, and that's what stopped him from uh, pulling the trigger. But this is probably what led him to sticking that gun in there. <laughs> so, Harry, I got to, um, we're so excited about this. Everyone on the show has always obsessed on the fact that we want to see Jerry Lewis's movie. Supposedly, Jerry was high on Percocet, the story goes. Percodan. 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 Yeah, this was the old days. Yeah, and, and Jerry decided somehow to make a movie where he plays a concentration camp clown. Yeah, well, you know, he had this chain of movies. First of all, I have to clarify one thing. Uh, Jerry didn't show this movie to me. I, I didn't meet Jerry uh, until years after I saw this picture. Seven, oh, really? Yeah. No, yeah. Seven people. I met, have him, I met him down in Australia this this summer, and one of the things I had to avoid saying to him is, "Hey, the clown movie." Uh, <laughs> seven people have seen this in the entire world because it's locked up in a vault. Now, what story have you heard about why it's locked up in a vault? All right, here, there's several stories I've heard. Yeah. First one being that Jerry's financing fell through, yeah. and that there's about half a million dollars that Jerry owes someone, or the production company owes someone, and therefore they can't release it. That's the number one. The second story. I heard was that the you know that the movie's so horrible that no one will release it. Come on. Or the third story I heard is that Jerry Lewis is waiting for the right time to unveil this to the public. Okay, this is well. If he was, if it was the third, he would have done it right after Life Is Beautiful. Right. Big. Um, but what about the fourth theory that Dean Martin swallowed the key and was buried with it? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> Howard used to be funny. Uh, so yeah, Howard was Howard loved this story because. Um, if you talk to Howard fans, one of the first things they'll list, like if they're talking about the old days of Stern, you know, there's a few names that, or specifically if you're talking about shows and uh, celebrities that Stern really trashed and, and targeted. Magic Johnson, Chevy Chase. There's like a few names that come up. For sure, one of those was uh, the Jerry Lewis telethon. Like Stern would rip those things apart. So he loved the good uh, Jerry Lewis bashing. Um, so he was all excited. If you go listen to this interview with uh, Harry Shear, he was very, he, wa he wanted to buy the rights to it. He's like, hey, listen, I'll pay whatever I got to pay. I'll, I'll release it if that's the issue. Who owns it now? Um, so from what I understand, it may be released in 2025. Oh my God. That's I don't know the exact uh, logistics of it. But I assume Jerry's estate owns it in some way. I think he gave it to like, I'm going to get this wrong, but like the Library of Congress or something like that and said it could be released anytime after 2025. I believe that's the story that I've heard. I don't know how true that is. God willing, and that this show's still kicking, that'll be a watch along. <laughs> With any luck, we'll get to watch The Day the Clown Cried. That'll be, it'll be the last episode. We watched, the first episode was The Day the Laughter Died, and the last episode will be The Day the Clown Cried. <laughs> Always good to go out on a Holocaust note. Yeah, no kidding. Um, was there one more clip from Stern, or was that it? Yeah, this one's called More Review. Yeah, so let's hear a little bit. Of, so Harry Shear saw the movie, as you heard. So let's get a little taste uh, for what was in that puppy. 
Uh, we sat in the in the home of this person and watched uh, our mouths just getting you know lower and lower on our on our faces, and, and it did not have the real music. Jerry did not have a chance to put the real music on right. at the time that this tape was made. So it was what's called dummy music, which is you know just taken from some other movie. Right. That didn't hurt it at all. No, <laughs> didn't, it didn't really influence the uh, movie at all. No, it really did not affect our review. Um, now how now how bad is it? Well, you know. <laughs> If you say Jerry Lewis clown in a concentration camp, and you make that movie up in your head, right. it's so much better than that. Is it, and by better, I mean worse. <laughs> Do you sit and laugh at it, or is it so? You're stunned. You're you're just oh my god. Really? You've got to be oh no. But like no, like no. like they have Robin Williams as a concentration camp DJ. Yeah. And yet I'm sure in some way, even Hogan's Heroes, they were able to take a you know a German setting and like make it somewhat funny. This must go horribly wrong. Well, yeah, he's, he's trying. He's trying to do it, and, and I'm going to use a, a word really strangely here. He's trying to do it real. <laughs> uh, so, so there is no fun in it, right? It's, right. it's not. It's not. You know, it's, Ed McMahon doesn't show up in the concert. He's not one of the Nazis. <laughs> right. Uh, he's he's trying to play it straight, and um, and Jerry's unfunniness shines like a beacon. Yeah, right. I think I, I think yeah, I think that's true. The idea of a clown like going through a concentration camp to cheer people up, and there's just people emaciated, just looking up, and there's a dude juggling yeah. and smashing bottles on his head. So that, <laughs> here's the here's the main problem with making it a dramatic movie: is all you're gonna think about the entire time is the Nazis were not focused on entertaining these these people. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't like, listen, we got to boost morale. Morale is low around here. We got to do something to jazz this place up. Well, we're, we're Nazis, but we're not monsters. You know, <laughs> we got to put a little pep in everyone's step. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I imagine that's the problem. Like, at least with Robin Williams, radio existed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if Holocaust, Holocaust clowns uh, were, were too true to form during that time. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so it's it's wild, man. But we have a clip of Jerry talking about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so this is him discussing um, uh, basically why we'll never see it, or maybe it'll take us at least a couple of years to see it. Are we going to ever going to get to see the day the clown cried? No. <laughs> the original Trump? No. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> that no, by the way, he goes on to be a little more likable in this clip. That no is a preview <laughs> That's the beginning of, for the rest of Jerry's life from the point we are at now. <laughs> He's like Donald Trump before it was cool. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> All right. No. No. You want to know why? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Simply because it's very easy to sit in front of an audience and expound on your feelings. It's another thing to have to deal with those feelings. And in terms of that film, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of the work, and I was grateful that I had the power to contain it all and never let anybody see it. It was bad, bad, bad. It could have been wonderful, but I slipped up. I didn't quite get it, and I didn't quite have enough sense 
to find out why I'm doing it. And maybe there would be an answer. He just goes up to everyone like, what's up, skinny? <laughs> so you got to at least give him this, though. He fesses up when he has, when he has a real bomb. He acknowledges it. And I, you could argue that's one you can't avoid, really. Why else wouldn't it be released? But I, I actually love that. Yeah, he's like, hey, it was bad. It was horrible, you know? People don't do that enough. They're like, well, yeah. you just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, rather we're all kind of, they would make excuses. Oh, there were all kinds of problems. It was from a production angle. But he's like, no, it was bad. I wasn't prepared. I, and he said the same thing about his talk show. He's like, you know what? I let the money kind of take, take over. I, I wasn't prepared for it. And so that's something I do kind of respect about him. Um, as far as com- his comedy career, like you heard Howard say there uh, in the previous clip, that like Jerry's not funny um, and nothing I went back and watched had me, you know, doubled over laughing, but you can't deny the guy's success. And I think for, you know, 1950, he developed something that wasn't really prevalent in society or at least did it better than other people were doing it, you know, playing that kind of, zany hey lady character so you gotta at least give him that whether or not you find him funny because like we've talked about with other people um comedy's not necessarily supposed to hold up 70 years later you know right it, it just it's the best when it does yeah um so what are we going to do now um uh captain jenks Oh, so this is, yeah, I, I, that's right. I, we do have a little more of Howard fucking with, uh, <laughs> with Jerry Lewis. So this is the type of shit they would try and get done. Uh, Howard at his height during the Jerry Lewis telethon. Um, you see how much fun Jerry has with this. We have Larry King calling me, um, on our phone, which should be on the, which should be on the line. Larry King. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, Mr. Lewis. What do you think of Howard Stern, the radio personality? How do you like them apples? I don't think we got Larry King, no. I think it was a phony. (laughs) Oh, do you think, Jer? You know, we do this show. It's life and death and it's important, but you're always going to get a schmuck out there. (laughs) That's okay. What the hell? It's what makes the world go round. They sucked you in pretty good, folks. If Larry King was really going to call me, he'd have called me on my private phone in the dressing room. Okay, we've been had. Oh! <laughs> Big stuff. Name dropper. <laughs> <laughs> he'd have call- Folks, I can talk to Larry King. See, that was, a, yeah, that was a prime example of, fuck, what do I say? <laughs> Larry King would have called me privately. Whoa, you lucky dog. If he was calling in, my beeper would have went off. Yeah, I mean, I love Larry King, but that's not a great brag. <laughs> Back then, it might have been. I don't know. Larry King? Did anyone think anyone want to hang out with Larry King? Back in the day, he was pretty goddamn popular. He was popular, but he never seemed like a fun hang, necessarily. I would not. Although, s- I'd love to hang. I would have loved to hang with him. Oh, for but. sure. I would have been like, what's up, dude? Tell me your story. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a little, so I assume we're getting a bit into the telethon now. Uh, this next clip is, uh, yeah, he hates Joan Rivers. Ooh, all right. All right. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. So I'll just talk about the telethon for a minute and say that they raised over $2 billion in the 15, 
50 years, 60 years, maybe. I think 50, um, but you know, half a century at least of, of uh, the Jerry Lewis telethon, they raised over $2 billion. Now the question that like Howard and Opie and Anthony and other critics would bring up is hey, Jerry, hey, we're 2 billion in here. No cure yet. <laughs> what a little odd. No, <laughs> you know, Where'd this money. So, go? Um, but, oh, but I guess, you know, for you, uh, for you, youngsters out there if you don't know um the jerry lewis telethon was every labor day weekend uh and it was for muscular dystrophy and he would you know he he would perform and he would have all kinds of celebrities stop by and he would deal with you know kids that suffered from muscular dystrophy and another criticism of the charity um or the the telethon was uh that the way Jerry spoke to the kids was very uh, pandering and didn't seem authentic. So people would criticize that. Um, And as Jerry said, I believe like, Hey, we're trying to, you know, move merchandise here. We're trying to get some donations. So we're tugging to people's heartstrings, you know? So I, I do understand that a little bit. Um, But there were also like, uh, activists for, you know, muscular dystrophy ended up coming out against him uh, for things like that, for the way he, you know, kind of talked to some of the people on there. Um, But yeah, it was a, it was a thing he did that was very good for sure. And I think we'll talk about it a little more before we end, but it was definitely, um, uh, I think it was definitely a net positive at least because even if they, you know, whatever you think about charities that make that much money and there's not a cure or anything. I don't think Jerry's behind that necessarily. You know what I mean? Like he was on the chair of uh, the muscular dystrophy foundation or whatever it was. Um, So he was the, he was the chairperson for that, but it's not like Jerry is handling the money. He's not running their books, you know? Right. Right. Um, So yeah, well now let's get into, this is the clip that I mentioned before. This is where we get into the real nitty gritty. We start not liking them. (laughs) So, so this is the clip that whatever about my YouTube algorithm took me from the day the clown cried to this interview on Sirius XM where the name Joan Rivers comes up. And I never knew that he had any sort of issue with Joan Rivers, but you're, what you're about to hear is a guy who you know, more of a performer than a, a stand-up, yeah. put it that way, or more of a performer than a comedian. Yes. Um, I think that's the main takeaway from this clip. I don't know who this is with, by the way. I don't this either. This woman says she's a com- She works for SiriusXM. I'm not familiar with her. I'm, it's going to come to me because she looks very familiar. She looks and sounds very familiar to me, but I don't, I don't know who she is. I always feel bad when somebody passes away, except if it was Joan Rivers, then I wouldn't, you know... <laughs> You don't mean that. Oh, God. You do? (laughs) That's the first time I've ever made that public statement. I don't know how it came out. Whoa. I ain't lying. All right, Jerry. Now you got to pony up the details. Why? 
she set the Jews back a thousand years. <laughs> See, she went to Israel and uprooted two trees in my name. Joan uh, attacked me in the press. And uh, all she said was, Hold on, Jerry hold on, Lewis hold on, hold on. Has Before to be we thank- say, just go back a little bit because I don't want to cut off any of his statement. But the, the word attacked is very interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Joan attacked me. So this is going to be something really bad, I guess. There's no way. Yeah, Jerry's career was probably damaged based on what uh what Jones said. Here. Publicly wishing, uh, or I'm, I'm glad she's dead. Yeah, that's yeah. What she, I'm glad she's dead. Root, rooting for someone's death, being happy with someone's death, that it has to be pretty bad. Quite an attack. <laughs> yeah. Private, private, different story. But you're gonna go on on an interview like this. You better yeah, have right. a real good reason. You got some juice. Yeah, <laughs> I am. It's bugging me that I don't know who this woman is, but she sounds terrible. Joan uh, attacked me in the press. And uh, all she said was, Jerry Lewis has to be thankful that he has the telethon because it helps his career. That bitch. She should die, honestly. That that awful cunt. (laughs) I mean, inarguably one of the most successful women in comedy ever. Uh, Maybe the best female stand-up of all time. And it's very funny. I, I think I cut out the part where Jerry berates this woman. Um, there is, we're not even halfway through this clip. Oh, I know, but I don't think I don't think I included the part where he's like, "This woman defends Joan Rivers a little bit, rightfully." Yeah. And Jerry's like, "Well, of course you defend her. You're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> great guy. Great, great." Guy. But yeah, I mean, what an awful bitch. Thank God Joan Rivers is dead. She said that the telethon helps his career, which unquestionably it does. Does he disagree? That did, to, to Jerry's own uh, admission, they owned Labor Day weekend. Like the, the football had to compete with them. Right. <laughs> That's how big that Jerry Lewis telethon was right. on Labor Day weekend. Um, so I don't know where Joan is wrong, but we'll hear his issue with it, I guess. Um, and then she went on and was even a little more salty. So I wrote her a note that night. I said, dear Miss Rivers, we've never met, and I'm looking forward to keeping it that way. You guys but have I, never met? No, we had never met. Wow. And I said, if you find it necessary to discuss me, my career, or my kids ever again, I promise you, I will get somebody from Chicago to beat your goddamn head off. Now, P.S., you do know that you're not allowed to threaten people. So if you go to our group downtown, if you go to Metro, show them this letter, they'll arrest me. But I want you to never forget what it said. And that was it. Devil's advocate, she's a comedian. Yes. Hold on, lady. I don't think you need devil's advocate. He just admitted to a crime. (laughs) I think think you just need an advocate. (laughs) (laughs) The slightest of friendship, maybe even. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe I didn't cut it out because this this I think this woman's about to make the point that I was talking about where she's like, hey, 
she's a comedian. Oh, first of all, you don't even have to defend her by saying she was joking. All she said was, it helps your career. It does. He wrote he a was, fucking note that said he was going to put a hit out on her. I, and said, hey, I dare you to go to the police. That's power. I fucking dare you. <laughs> that's, that's power. <laughs> so Let's hear this lady push back a little bit. Why take a joke? I, I assume it was a joke. It was no joke. Well, it's no joke to you, but it it's always hard as a comedian to not offend right. people when the whole no. point of the joke is to be funny. Yeah, but the point is, if you're not careful about being funny, you're going to hurt somebody. Where is that line as a comedian? That hurt comes somebody. from the conscience and from the mental attitude of the individual. That's where it's going to come from. Now, a lot of people could think the same way, but they've got to act the same way. You cannot rip someone else apart for doing exemplary work. And if you allow that to happen, then you deserve it. Okay. I, I, I got to give her credit. She did pretty good there. Oh, she did. I, there's a longer, this is like a six or seven minute clip. Yeah. She does a pretty good job. I don't know who she is, but she does well here. I yeah, thought. Yeah. Get past the beginning. Uh, like, oh my God. Noises. That one, it was yeah. that one instance that I knew would bother you. But I, once you get past it, she's fine. <laughs> yeah. Get past it. It's actually, if you go back, it's funny because she makes that noise and then goes, Oh, you are serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, once you uh, realize that Jerry Lewis is a fucking monster, her noises yeah. don't bug been, you so she's much. She's probably been dealing with him for the last 40 minutes, <laughs> this curmudgeon. He's got old guy noises, too. The, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, the, I mean, what a tremendous baby. Like, thank <laughs> God Dean Martin was the one that ran those celebrity roasts because Jerry Lewis would have hung himself. Oh, I know. <laughs> You're not allowed to criticize someone who does exemplary work. First of all, you made the nutty professor. Let's not fucking. It's a fun. Let's not, let, let's not crack our elbows patting yourself on the back here, Jerry. It's a fun film. It's fine. Sure. It's, it's, it's great. But I'm just saying you're not, you know, splitting atoms. Definitely. Necessarily. I wouldn't. I wouldn't you're not doing the re you're, you're, you're making the money on those telethons. You're not doing the research, you know, <laughs> I would say it's not. I, I mean, we could probably write a similar. Uh, film if we had the skeleton of the movie <laughs> i would think so yeah yeah um so uh was there one more clip there or no uh this was in this interview not from that interview no uh similar oh, okay. similar topic though yeah if you go uh, go listen to the whole thing folks it's a slightly longer clip he basically says to this lady he's like well you know, of course you're going to defend her. You're a woman and <laughs> just kind of goes down that road. And she's like, well, I kind of just think she's right, but all right. <laughs> um, let me see here. Yeah. The next clip is if I can have this stop happening is um, uh, I forget her name from um, Curb, uh, Susie. Oh, Susie Essman. Yes. That's the one. Well, this is more, this is, you know, kind of goes with what I was just talking about his uh, thought of women in comedy. And we, I mean, we talked about Belushi also uh, last week. So I think just at the time it was a fairly popular opinion, <laughs> let's just say, but Susie Essman, who's genuinely a funny woman, uh, gives her thoughts on Jerry. I think she's with uh, Ron Bennington. Danny does talk about it. He does say. But then you have the pictures here of Jerry Lewis, and they're doing a tribute tonight to Jerry Lewis at the Friars Club, which I they invited me, but I, I refused to go. Well, You're not a Jerry Lewis fan? No. 
No, um, and I'll tell you a couple of things. First of mm-hmm. all, I never was before I ever was a comedian. I just never thought he. Oh, what am I French? I never thought he was funny. <laughs> and 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 now he out and out says with impunity that no women ever in the history of mankind has ever been funny. I'm back on I board. I take issue with that. <laughs> now, can, can we give him a, a, a pass on just being an old man? Like no. this is some no. old people no, can't change. He's 88 you know now, what? right? Yeah. You know what? That's like reverence for the dead. If you were an asshole in life, just because you're dead doesn't mean that you're not an asshole yeah. anymore. Now let's just try to figure out what Jerry Lewis gains from saying women aren't funny. You know what I mean? Like, what does he hope to get? That's, an interesting, that's an interesting point. What does someone gain? I think that it's just about, um, you know, it, it being contrary. Right. You know what I mean? Being I have opinions right. and this is what I think and you know how he talks in that really slow way. And But there was always like those old school guys. Milton Bro was another one. They couldn't stand that anyone else got a laugh. Got any them. attention. Right. So if somebody else yeah. was getting a laugh, it, it, like, it it's physically very hurt them. Right. So and, and if this, you were writing for them, you couldn't really say that you were writing for them. They didn't like that. If right. anybody else got any credit for being funny. Yeah. Well, Milton Berle was one of the most prolific joke thieves of all time. <laughs> yes, he was. I, I just liked the uh, little bit of Susie from Curb coming out in her. Now, fuck that asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that, that's just kind of setting the groundwork. He's a bit of a curmudgeon. By the way, I should have mentioned this uh, earlier. Um, you heard her say there, like, what am I, French? Jerry Lewis, huge in France. Won a bunch of awards over there. Europe in general, he was pretty big. But like when he kind of, you know, like I said, he would go through these slumps when he hit a downtime in America, France loved Jerry Lewis. I don't know what it is. Um, Jerry's answer was they have better taste. He said that in an interview. Um, But yeah, I don't know what it was. He was just a monster over there for some reason. They got his comedy, I guess. What's not to get? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they enjoy. uh, They said the Holocaust needs a little brightening up, Jerry. What can you? (laughs) You spruce it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, one of the inmates was like, is there any jugglers in the house? <laughs> um, all right. Let's keep keep moving along here. Um, history with women. Oh, yeah. So that's the one. I, I ordered these clips purposely because you're like, hey, listen, women aren't that funny. You know, well, are fine, fine. But you got to draw the line somewhere, I think. <laughs> this is where Jerry... Uh, amazingly survived the uh, Me Too era, I'm pretty sure. He was like a hundred. He died, died, what, 2019? Yeah, he was like 117. Yes. Well, hey, listen. Let's dig this bastard up because some pretty uh, horrible allegations here. Uh, uh, 1931 to 2017. Oh, he died? Oh, the son of a bitch knew right when to die. (laughs) Just as it started. Literally, just a month before, <laughs> this guy croaked. Uh, who is this woman? This um, there are a cu- there's two different uh, actresses that he worked with. Okay. Um, essentially, when he was, you know, running the ship on his films. He was very specific about how he wanted me to dress. I thought that was unique. Is, by the way, he was, I should just say, uh, he was married at this time, and he admitted in his book that uh, very early on in his marriage, he started cheating 
on his wife. Get, out, um, get so, it out of the way. Yeah, so adultery is already, we know that much. But these women go, uh, I would say, a couple steps further than that. He was very specific about how he wanted me to dress. I thought that was unique and interesting that he wanted to look at the sketches. He wanted to look at the clothes on me to make sure that he didn't want to delete something or add something to the way I looked. So I was then asked to come over to the location. I go into this garish dressing room and I sit down and he presses a button, locks me in the, locks me in the dressing room with him. Now our style. Oh boy. He began to whisper things in my ear that were very sexy and seductive. He said, you've got a great figure. He said, you've got nice boobs. He said, you've got lovely legs. He said, that's what, that's what I like to see. And before I knew it, he was all over me. He had grabbed me. He began to fondle me. Next thing I know, he's unzipping his pants. And out comes the... Mm. And next thing, he's jerking off in front of me. Louie! I mean... And I didn't know what to do, so I just sat there. I sat Lewis. there. And I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave so badly. I wanted to get out of there. And I couldn't. I was under contract to him and to Paramount. And I didn't want to shake the boat. You know, I figured I'll just keep my mouth shut. I, I knew it was Louis, by the way. I was making a Louis C.K. joke. <laughs> Why not? We got the OG, though. I got it. The OG room uh, jerker. <laughs> yeah, listen, you might call me a hit based on my defense of Louis that I'm going to call this guy an asshole. I think the circumstances were different. <laughs> yeah, Louis, Louis's door was unlocked. <laughs> Louis's door was unlocked. It didn't close automatically, and, you know, he asked. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't just do it. Yeah, so there's a little different. But, yeah, uh, Jerry Lewis apparently uh, definitely did abuse his power and, like, would... Tell these women, uh, one of them said that basically she was like threatened afterwards. Like, you know, uh, if she ever wants to work again, that sort of thing. Keep your fucking mouth shut. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jerry Lewis, uh, not a good guy from that standpoint. It appears not of all, all of his affairs were consensual. Um, what are we getting into now? The family stuff? Uh, this one's labeled abuse of power. Oh, there's more. I'm sorry. There's more from uh, these late. That that's what I was just uh, talking about. Yeah, this is short abuse of power. This is where he's worse than Louis. All right, this, I, I'm off free and clear here. Not a hypocrite. I said maybe I should resign right now because this is going to be awkward to work with you with this situation. He said it's too late. You already signed the contract, and we're going to go ahead with this. That's my punishment. No one was allowed to speak to me on that set or they would be fired. That was told to me the second day I was there. That person was fired. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, listen. Worse than Louis. That's the real takeaway. Am I right, everyone? We're all, we're all in agreement? I mean, how could, you, how could you not be? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he has that. Like, I didn't realize there was that element to Jerry Lewis. Right. Uh, I I I didn't really know what an asshole he was either. But then when I heard the stuff about Joan, uh, the stuff about these women, I was like, holy shit! Um, I did know he was an asshole just from one interview, <laughs> in particular, mm-hmm. uh, that I that I heard later in his life. But I had thought like, oh, maybe he's just an old, ma- a sad old man at the end of his at the end of his days. But um, it turns out he was kind of like this for all of his life. And yeah. like I said. 
you know, uh, depression played a factor and uh, things like that. But he said the one thing that kept him alive, kept him from killing himself, was hearing his children playing down the hall. Um, maybe he means he didn't want them to actually hear a gunshot going off, but based on how he treated his family, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily... <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily what kept him going, you know? <laughs> yeah, we we call him uh, White Cosby in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's... Uh, oh, by the way, him and the wife ended up getting divorced Nuh-uh. after, I think, 38 or 39 years of marriage. Um, and he remarried uh, a, a woman who was pr- previously a dancer, I believe, an erotic dancer. Uh, they remet- They got married in 19... 19- 82 or 83 and they adopted a daughter together, which um, I'll mention that daughter in a bit also. Uh, But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Yeah. This, uh, uh, the F bomb during the telephone, which is just repulsive. Oh, this is, (laughs) so this is just an example of an old, uh, an old codger that's not quite aware of his surroundings. This is, um, 2008, I think. And this is the clearest video we can find of it. So he's in his 80s at this time, right? Yeah. Um, like but yeah, this is a this is a quick clip from something he got in a bit of hot water for uh, on the telethon. Now, mind you, not that much hot water because it's 2008. You could this could still fly, just not necessarily on a charity telethon yeah at this point in time you could still say it maybe not scream it uh in some yeah, don't yell at uh, it with sick kids in the room yes at them. <laughs> yeah at them or at uh like gay people but it was still something you could call your friends yeah so uh let's hear jerry on the uh, telethon here to our 18 look how good he moves that camera be a son of a gun wherever i go he goes let's see what you do with this over here Oh, your family has come to see you. You remember Bart, your oldest son? Jesse, the illiterate fag. No. <laughs> he catches himself. That's an old man catching like, oh no, wait a minute, you're not allowed to say I'm not I'm not with Frank and Dean. <laughs> so I'm funny. not in old Vegas, you know, tossing down stogies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, so funny. So, so yeah, you got a little backlash for that. I, I listened to um, Opie and Anthony talk about that. It was a, it was a short clip, so it wasn't even worth cutting. But Norton was telling a story that he had heard about Jerry Lewis, uh, another a young comedian um, that came up with Norton uh, met Jerry Lewis. Uh, maybe even been on the set with him. I'm not exactly sure what the scenario was, but uh, he saw Jerry. While he was eating. So granted, he was, he was eating. So it's not a time where people like to be bothered. But the guy walks up and he says, Hey, Jerry, just wanted to say I'm a huge fan. And Jerry, without skipping a beat, goes, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he always kind of had that prickly uh, reputation off, uh, off set, I think, or off camera. Um, but... The 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 culmination of that was uh, this interview. I think we're about to talk about. Yep, his part one. Yeah. So this, by the way, I wanted like if I didn't think it would just get obnoxious after a while, I would have played the whole seven minutes for you. 
but I knew by the time we got to this, we would have already done like an hour or so. So I think I, I cut it up into a few, you know, uh, two or three minutes here, but there's a full seven minute clip. If you want to go back and watch it. Um, I don't know who this guy is or why Jerry agreed to this interview. Um, but at age 91, I think he must know somebody. Yeah, you don't get just to get an interview with Jerry Lewis. But yeah, somehow this guy got this interview. Um, Jerry's promoting something. He worked into his 90s, so good for Jerry. This is, by the way, months before he died, I think. This is not long before he died. Uh, um, it's uh, 2017, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, but he, you know, like, uh, give Jerry credit for this at least. He is completely lucid and coherent. Which actually almost to his detriment. That's almost a criticism based on what he's about to do here in this interview. Have you ever thought about retiring? Why? Uh, was there never a moment that you thought it might be time to retire, or you would want? Why? To? You come from a you come from a generation a little older, and I think of Bob Hope, George Burns, Sinatra, people you knew, many of whom didn't want to. Uh, or never retired either. Um, do you see similarities with them? None. None? <laughs> what do you think drives people like you and, and them to want to keep working? Because we do it well. And how about um, what, um, what's different about performing now for you than, say, 20 years ago? How is it, how is it different for you? It isn't. Not at, <laughs> Not at all. Jerry, um, you're 90. Any, any, do you have to make any concessions to being, you know, old, older in your in your performing, or does it? How do you keep the material fresh for yourself? By working at it. You know, credit to this guy for just peppering the questions in there. Well, I, I uh, here's what I will say. The one criticism of this interviewer I have: the questions are hard. They're very base level questions. Like, if you have Jerry Lewis, you don't need to just go with the generic questions you could ask anyone. You know what I mean? Like, he has such a long, wild career and was friends with, like, you know, Sinatra and all, like, all these, worked with De Niro and Scorsese. Like, there's so many questions you could ask him to stick to, like, generic questions like that. But then you get into Jerry, don't agree to do the interview. Right. You know, or at least be playful. Come off as playful and it like goof on this guy for being a shitty interviewer or whatever. He's giving, I don't think he gave more than a forward answer in this entire interview. Four words, I think, is what he capped it at pretty much. Basically. He, because he, we do it. Five words, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> we do it well. Why? Um, <laughs> but yeah, why? That's my favorite. And that's why this story I heard Jim Norton tell years before is completely believable. Once you hear this interview of the guy just going, of uh, Jerry Lewis going, walk away. <laughs> but there's more. This, like I said, this continues for seven minutes. So there's a little more here. You've been, um, you've been coming to Vegas for a. a you've lived here. Hold for on, a that. But by the way, where that starts, you've been. Um, <laughs> he's like, ooh, I am bombing here. Come on, <laughs> this isn't what going I, well. What can I pull out of my app? Vegas. Oh, but he's an old guy. I love to talk about the old days. <laughs> let, me, let me ask him about Las Vegas. So let's find out if Las Vegas from 1947 
to 2017 saw any changes in Jerry's mind. <laughs> Vegas different for you than when you first came here. When was the first time you, you performed in Vegas? 1947. Well, can you tell me what, what Vegas was like when you first showed up? It's not. It's the same. It's the, it's the same? Exactly the same. Like, what, what is it about Vegas that you like, or what is it about, like, how, how would you describe the, the place? He's booming. Like, when you show up in 1947, what was it? It wasn't a little bit of a dusty cow Now the wheels town. are coming off for this poor what bastard. Was it, what was it yeah. like? A dusty cow town. And Just agrees with what he said. Is it sort of dusty cow town? No. And how about... He's um, such a Hold on, go back for a second. Now. Just go back a bit, because... He goes, was it a sort of a dusty cow town? Or, and he goes, dusty cow town. He goes, so is it still a dusty cow town now? No. <laughs> Jerry, you just said it hasn't changed. <laughs> so he's got him right, caught him red-handed. Go back. I want to I hear both those answers because it's just hilarious. He's, do, he's going out of his way to be a dick to this guy. Poor fella. Describe the, the place. Like when you show up in 1947, what was it? It wasn't a little bit of a dusty cow town it was what was it what was it like a dusty cow town and do you still think of it as a sort of dusty cow town no <laughs> and how about um is performing in vegas now for you different than it was then like just either the mechanics or the size of the no not at all and how about um what's your audience like you know now you're you're still performing you're 90 what what's your What's your audience like? Who are your, who are your fans? Are they different than they, than they used to be? No, they're still the same. <laughs> Even it's like he's, it's like he's being fans. talked to by the police, and his lawyer hasn't shown up yet. I know. Why is it? You don't know who this guy is? No, he talked about the interview afterwards, and was basically like, "Yeah, he was a dick. I didn't really know what to do." I'll say the guy at some point should have been like, "Hey, Jerry, why are you being like this?" Yeah, this is the the Gallagher Am I bothering you. Like, what's happening? This is Gallagher on Calta. Uh, this is this is way worse. Oh, for sure. At least Gallagher had the decency to leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, th- th- this is evidently they're in Jerry's home. It seems like it looks that way. It's why? Good. Why invite him in? Why did you have him over? In, unless this guy said, "Hey, you old fucker! If you answer, if you give me a full sentence, I'm going to beat the living shit." <laughs> You understand me? If you give me a real answer, I am going to knock that fucking... I'm going to knock you back to the nutty professor. You understand me? If you string more than five words together, I am going to stab you. Short of that. Yeah, and unless there's a gun at the back of Jerry's head saying, with a, with a word count, <laughs> saying, when you hit your limit, I'm pulling the fucking trigger here. I can't imagine <laughs> why he's behaving this way. Oh, shit. Uh, Hollywood Reporter. I, don't, I mean, so that, that, that can't be like a nobody. Right. I mean, it's a nobody in the sense like we wouldn't know his name, but yeah, he works for the Hollywood Reporter, so he has some credentials at least. Yeah. There's oh, there's a whole there's a whole story on from the Hollywood Reporter about this interview. Should we hear a little bit of it? Uh, no, it's an article, so maybe I'll put it and uh, I'll I'll attach it in the the. Uh, okay. Yeah. If the people want to learn more about it, but description. I think I cut that clip off. I think there's a little more to it. I it was it was one second. I just went through it was the done. Next one. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's hear now the end of the interview. <laughs> this is where, and I cannot believe. And maybe you could say it's like 
strength and professionalism by this guy. I would have to ask before I left this house, I'd have to be like, Jerry, why? <laughs> what did I do? I can't give you six weeks, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are your, you're on tour now. What else do you have um, planned for, for this year? 90 That's great. I, I, again, mm-hmm. I got to criticize the interviewer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Ask a 91-year-old, so what are your plans? <laughs> I'll hopefully waking up tomorrow. <laughs> hopefully I'll, uh, you know, be alive soon. Oh, whoa, but there's, I forgot. There's an interesting thing in here where I'm like, maybe something must have happened before this interview. This guy says that's not the case. But there's an answer he gives in here about the movie he's promoting where I'm like, Something happened? I don't get that. But it's also an instance of Jerry not hearing what the guy says. So just keep all that in mind while we play this. Something's telling me he's choosing not to listen. <laughs> I, I hope that's in this car. I hope I didn't cut that part out, but we'll hear the rest of it. You're, you're on tour now. What else do you have um, planned for for this year, 90th year? Mm-hmm. Are, do you have anything else? Line? Yeah, but nothing we want to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. So I just go back just a little bit. I, I don't think I did include it, but there's a moment where he says, um, so the movie you're promoting, Jerry, Matt, I forget what it was called, Max something, but the interviewer says the name of it. And then Jerry goes, yeah, do you remember, do you even remember the name? Right after or, I'm he sorry, said- he says, he goes, yeah. And the guy answers and he goes, uh, yeah, I'm glad you remembered it. So there must've been something off mic where he didn't know the name of the movie or something. Something um, must have triggered this. You know I don't what? know. This is a, a before the cameras start rolling. The dude's asking questions because he's not informed. It has to be because he doesn't seem like a prepared interviewer. Which if that's the case, I could maybe get behind this. A little bit, but bust his balls the way. So he broke down on the blind mic project. Dude, if, you, uh, if, I'm, if I'm inviting someone over to my house at that age when I'm who, who, who uh, Jerry yeah. Lewis, I hope yeah. you know a little bit and I don't have to explain yeah. to you oh, everything. For sure. But like the way when we broke down Tarantino with Tom Segura a couple weeks ago on the show, mm-hmm. Tarantino's busted his balls and saying, you didn't read my book. Get the hell you had me on your show. Like what, what how many chapters you read? Yeah. That's the first chapter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're a comedian. I get that you're 90 years old, but Jerry just seems like a guy that was always kind of like this. And that's the sad thing, but it's hilarious. So let's just hear how he finishes up. Like. Yeah, but nothing we want to talk about. Um, and so you've worked with a lot of a lot of people over the years. What do you have a favorite story about, like Dean or or Frank Sinatra or somebody that you that you worked with, or, you know, over the years that you like to share? No, not at all. None. How about do you have an unfavorite story you'd like? No. <laughs> Not for this. So I guess we're finished. Sure. Anything else you want to? No. So we're finished. Sure. Thank you. Huh? Call him a cunt. All right, clean it out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Clean it out of here. I might be Team Jerry Lewis in this, after all. I wonder. I do wonder about that if something was said beforehand. but had to have. that guy claims no, but he he sounds very unprepared there, you know. He's stumbling over everything he's saying. Granted, yeah. he's in a tough spot, but if what you're saying happened. Yeah, he's, he's like, he seems very nervous, so that might be it. But there's also an element of like, hey, 
you got to come at Jerry Lewis with questions. This guy had a 70 year career. You got to come at him with some questions. I'm guessing like, Hey, how's Vegas? You know? Yeah. I am guessing that this dude interviewing him forgot the name of the movie. It's got, it's gotta be that. Cause there's a clip in there where he's like, Oh good. You remembered the name. Right. So I might be team Jerry Lewis after all, after all this. Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) But then we'll hear how he treats his kids. Is that what we have left? Uh, No, we have one clip left and it is our typical shoehorning of Norm. Oh, 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 we got to wait for that. We'll finish with that. But first I do have to tell you, maybe I meant to say it earlier when I talked about the wife and everything, but who's married for uh, 38 years. He left his wife with essentially nothing. I don't know what divorce laws were like back then. Um, but his, his wife did not make out the way you see a lot of, uh, you know, celebrity marriages ending these days. Um, so he left his wife kind of high and dry to the point where, uh, his son, Gary Lewis, um, one of his, what a name, (laughs) one of his, by the way, Gary, uh, tried a music career and I guess had a couple of hits in the (laughs) sixties, Gary Um, Lewis. but yeah, Gary Lewis, uh, one of his sons had to sue Jerry to uh, try and collect some money for his mother. And the way uh, Gary put it was, do I sue my father or let my mother live on the street, essentially? So I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know what kind of dire straits she was in. Um, But it sounded like Jerry was, uh, you know, kind of left her high and dry. And you might say, "Ah, I don't know if I believe that until you hear that, uh, Jerry's son died of an overdose in 2009. And while he did say in an interview that, you know, that's something you never get over and he thinks about it all the time, uh, he refused to pay for the funeral bills. Mm-hmm. And then uh, because of this kind of severed relationship with all of his children, he cut the, uh, uh, he had six kids with his first wife. And like I said, one died. He refused to pay the funeral bills. The other five kids uh, were all cut out of his will. Um, they were disinherited. Uh, only two were invited to the funeral, which I didn't know you got invited. I guess for celebrities, maybe you get invited to the funeral. Only two of the five kids were invited. And his adopted daughter that I mentioned earlier was left with uh, his upwards of $50 million estate when he died. So he was a real bastard to his entire family, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. So yeah, a real, uh, like a, a, it seemed like a very bitter, angry guy. Um, you know, some of that might be his upbringing. Some of that might be the drugs and depression that he dealt with. Some of that might be how he handled fame, but whatever it was, uh, by all accounts, a, a famous asshole. And uh, I hope I've captured that um, properly in this episode. I was going that way, but I think I'm until I find out what happened before that interview, I might be team Jerry Lewis. Cause in my head, I'm making out the interviewer out to be a dummy. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, the rapes really stood out to me, but whatever you judge him, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, we didn't spend enough time on that part. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't like to send the people off on a sour note. As you know, I'm trained on this program to just block that part out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't like to end on a uh, on a sad note, 
So we have two of the greats here um, that have left us, the great Gilbert Godfrey and, of course, Norm MacDonald on the world's greatest talk show, Norm MacDonald Live, talking about Jerry Lewis. Muscular dystrophy, Gilbert, remains uncured. Yes. Although every year since I was a child, uh, Jerry Lewis would uh, explain that it would be cured soon. The sand in this hourglass is rapidly running down. Hi, I'm Jerry Lewis. Join me in the fight against muscular dystrophy. Nothing feels so good as helping my kids. Now, when you buy 7-Up products, 7-Up bottlers will contribute to the fight against muscular dystrophy. And that really makes like us 7-Up feel good. 7-Up probably right caused Chris? muscular dystrophy. I'm pissing and shitting and coming. Oh. If I kept phoning. <laughs> there, was, there was an episode of, of, uh, the, of the telethon where, you know, you always turn away when it goes to the local The local, station. yes. But I, I, I would gladly, I, I luckily stayed and watched. <laughs> and and it was uh, Tony Orlando yes. was uh, hosting it, and you know Jerry Lewis would get the cute muscular dystrophy kids, <laughs> and so Tony Orlando's got the one like, and and, and he goes, "What's your name?" <laughs> and 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 Tony Orlando goes. Hey, wanna sing a song with me? And, and it's, I'm, I'm going, oh no, no, tell me this isn't happening here. This guy goes, come on. And he, he signals to the orchestra and they start. Sorry, and, 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 yeah, and they start playing. <laughs> something wrong in, your neighborhood. in the neighborhood. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? It was something bad. No good. Who are you going to call? Huh? It's like Gilbert getting us demonetized, by the way. Yeah, I didn't realize the music played for this long. This is really mean. <laughs> I just like the idea of Gilbert, of all people, going, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh, man. We are all going to hell. I thought that was a fun way to send us off, no? <laughs> you know, and Norm's like, all right, enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the legacy of Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I hope I summed it up all right. He's a rapist listen, monster, yeah. If, uh, you know, maybe I didn't paint the complete picture, you want to tell me about it, whatever, um, you can do that. You can go to blindmike.net. That's the place to uh, voice your opinions, you can sign up for the Patreon, which we appreciate. Um, but if you'd rather support the show for free, all the links are there. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Leave us a five-star review. Um, oh, by the way, a reason you should go to the Patreon. I should start saying this. Um, because, like, the Belushi episode, I should have said this at the beginning of the show, but oh, well. Oh, right, right. Yeah. The uh, Belushi episode, a lot of the clips are cut out because we aren't allowed to post them on YouTube. So... The full videos will always be on Patreon, and then the 
um, you know, if we have to edit it, that version will be on YouTube. Right. Uh, so if that's worth it to you, uh, that's another reason to check out the Patreon. So uh, appreciate you guys' support. Remember to listen to uh, WATS, Who Are These Socials, with me and Carl. Check out the first episode of that. Let me know what you think. Um, check out a very good show hey. with Craig. Shout out. And I think that's it, right? That's all I got. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time on Why You Laughing.